Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, what up, y'all? So first things first, welcome to Catholics with Bibles. And I'm very excited that you're tuning in today. And I want to apologize for not being on last week. Last week was pretty nuts here in Austin, Texas, uh, especially at our school. We had a small COVID outbreak. There was a f- handful of teachers, about a half dozen teachers and a handful of students that tested positive. Praise God, they are all doing okay and uh, everybody's looking good. Um, but on Tuesday, I had like a tickle in my throat and I had a slightly runny nose, nasal congestion. And I was like, oh snap, like, do I have COVID? And I uh, went to go get tested and I had to quarantine myself until the results came back. And so I, I slept on the floor in my office upstairs, um, my house. And uh, yeah, fortunately the results came back next day because I didn't do the rapid one. So I wanted to be it hopefully a little more accurate. But anyway, I did the, the non-rapid one, which took about 24 hours, but praise God, it came back negative. Uh, but needless to say, last week was straight crazy, y'all. Um, but uh, praise God, um, uh, you know, everybody's looking like they're doing good so far. Uh, but yeah, that's why there was no episode last week because uh, I wasn't allowed in my office for a couple of days and uh, it just didn't happen. And But, 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 but um, we are going to finish our Galatians Bible study next week. But this week is the last week of Advent. And a couple of weeks ago, I promised that we'd do a special Christmas episode. And I'm trying to stay liturgical, to, to liturgically correct here on Catholics with Bibles because we're Catholic. And we should like be in line with the church and all things. And even living liturgically. That's something that's actually really awesome that a lot of my friends do. And my wife and I are trying to get better at and Dagnabbit, it's so hard sometimes, is living liturgically, feasting when it's supposed to feast, preparing, making sure you're doing things with your children, with your spouse, with your family, that to remind you that you know we're part of a greater community of the church and we should be living liturgically. One thing I try to do uh, during Advent, especially, and, and during uh, Lent, closer to Easter, I try to pray with the daily readings of the day. A lot of times I'll, I'll just pray with um, certain, you know, whatever gospel I'm praying through or certain books of the Bible, but in particular times of the year, you know, especially during, you know, Advent, Christmas, Easter, uh, near the end of Lent, I really try to do my best to pray with the daily readings um, because uh, we're part of a greater community, the church and the church and her wisdom has given us these readings to focus on uh, during certain times of the year. So that's what I try to do. But anyway, um, today we will be diving into the infancy narrative of, yeah, namely Jesus' birth. Um, and so one of the things um, that I just really, really love um, is just authentic Catholic biblical scholars. And there are, you know, a decent amount of them out there. And there are sometimes less lesser known, but one that you should know, like without a doubt, like the OG, OG of biblical scholars is Joseph Ratzinger, AKA Pope Benedict. Um, He has a three-part series out called Jesus of Nazareth. If you do not own these books, stop the podcast. Maybe not if you're driving. Stop the podcast and go to Amazon and get these books. Literally type in Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, Infancy Narratives, um, or Jesus of Nazareth series. Sorry, there's, there's three of them. Um, the red one was the one he actually chronologically wrote first, and that is about more or less uh, the life, the ministry of Jesus. 
Um, but the, he wrote two other books, uh, one on the infancy narratives and another one on the, just, just the passion week. So it's a whole book just zooming in on, on the passion week of Christ. Um, these books, if, if you're somebody who's wanting to dive more into uh, type C or method, method C approach to scripture, is something we've talked about a bit uh, before on the podcast. Method A approach to uh, biblical interpretation is the uh, traditional method of studying scripture in light of Christ. So this is the way the church has been interpreting scripture since the time of Christ, namely reading the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ, reading all of scripture as inspired scripture, reading all in scripture, all of scripture uh, as pointing to Christ. Um, and it's a really beautiful, beautiful way of approaching scripture, but sometimes it's not as technical uh, in the literary sense. And uh, sometimes uh, people, you know, justify them ignoring certain evidence in scripture um, for, for reasons because it, it makes them uncomfortable with the faith. Um, and, uh, so method B approach is <laughs> method. I don't like, but it, it, there's tools, it's a historical critical method. So the reason I don't like method B is not the tools that it presents. They're very awesome tools. The tools of, you know, redaction, redaction criticism, namely, uh, looking at the old Testament scene where edits were clearly made or looking at canonical criticism or, you know, uh, zitz at Leben, the time, uh, the, the zitz at Leben is, you know, reading the old Testament or the new Testament in light of the culture of the time, the, the way they lived their life. Um, so there's all these different tools of the historical critical method that are really beautiful. The problem with method B is that the a priori assumptions or the assumptions that they bring into the way they, the lenses they, they have on uh, while they're reading scripture are philosophically prob problematic for a lot of reasons and for a lot of various reasons, depending on your historical critic that you're studying. Um, but a lot of the times, not all the times, but a lot of the times uh, they approach the Bible as clear as just a literary uh, piece of uh, work, uh, not as inspired scripture. That's problematic. Uh, they tend to, throw out miracles um, as something that's obviously not possible if uh, a lot of them are atheists. So a lot of them don't believe in God. So therefore miracles can't happen. So they try to read their preconceived notions of atheistic miracles can't happen into the text and therefore try to find ways to, to work around the text. Or every time there's something supernatural in scripture, they say, oh, well, that was added later or that was added by this group or that group, or you know, clearly that didn't happen that way. What's a natural way that we could have explained this? Um, if you ever watch his, a history channel, like Bible series, those are all historical critics that are just garbage scholars. So uh, sorry, if you, if you watch anything from a history channel on like Christianity or the Bible and you're like, well, that's fascinating. Uh, it's just a bunch of garbage, guys, I'm sorry. Uh, most of the time, 98% of the time, it's just a load of malarkey. Um, like one time I, I saw something like, you know, the story of Jesus walking on water and a, a scholar was trying to uh, say, oh, well, you know, that year was a really cold year and Jesus, you know, was on a, a piece of ice that was floating. And Peter, when he stepped out, also uh, stepped up on ice and, you know, bubble, it's just, just garbage. Anyway, so that's method B. Um, the tools are not the problem, but the philosophical uh, predispositions that they bring into the study of scripture is very problematic. Uh, and so we have method C. So method C is really, I mean, Joseph Ratzinger is just amazing and he's method C, uh, namely taking the faith of method A and also just the, the fathers of the church and every all the awesome interpretation that has been, you know, in the church for you know centuries and taking the faith of method A and the, with the tools of method B, 
And then you get method C, right? So looking at the Bible through the eyes of faith and reason, using the tools and all of the resources we have at our disposal to study scripture and to study scripture well. So this is the Jesus of Nazareth series. If you're interested in studying the Bible at all, I mean, this is, this is just where you need to start. Um, they're beautiful. They're very tangible. They're, very, they're not like going to make your brain just totally fried by reading them. Uh, Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, uh, does a really fantastic job. So I'm actually using his infancy narratives. It's literally right in front of me right now. And I'm going to look at Luke chapter two. And not all of it. We're not going to zoom in on everything uh, just because uh, ain't nobody got time for that um, in a 30-minute podcast. But um, we're going to be uh, looking at, at some various things that he points out and kind of expound upon them because they are very, very, very fascinating. So uh, one uh, thing that we got to do before we dive in is the Greek word of the day. I didn't forget about it, you guys. So the Greek word of the day today is soter. So soter is the Greek word for savior or redeemer. Um, soter. Um, so, so if you ever hear the word soteriology, it's a study of salvation. Uh, so uh, we are going to be uh, diving into Luke chapter two. And I'm just going to start with the first two verses because that's what Joseph Ratzinger does. And I'm not going to try to reinvent the wheel and do something that he doesn't do by skipping over these two very important verses. So in chapter two, verse one and two of Luke, we read this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay, so... This is just, I mean, super duper important. Um, and so I'm actually going to be reading a text uh, in a moment that uh, Joseph Ratzinger quotes in his book, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, but the reason this is important is because the gospel writer of Luke puts Jesus at a specific time in history, at a specific place. He, he, he gives us a date. Right In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration, so namely there was multiple, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Okay. What's Luke doing here? Well, he's setting the stage. Why? Well, Joseph Ratzinger points out that Jesus came in the fullness of time. We've heard this word, the fullness of time. Well, what makes it the fullness of time? Just Ryan says this. He says, only now when there is a com com commonality of law and property on a large scale, and when a universal language has made it possible for a cultural community to trade in ideas and goods, only now can a message of universal salvation, a universal savior, enter the world. It is indeed the fullness of time. So this is Ratzinger talking about how the idea of the Roman empire, right? That, that conquered the known world at the time. This is the fullness of time when a message could be planted, when an idea can be planted in seed form and spread like wildfire, like Christianity did. But there's another reason Luke brings in Caesar Augustus. And it's because Caesar Augustus had made himself the Soter, the savior. So Joseph Ratzinger, he actually quotes uh, this a German theologian named Stozier. And we read that, which is it's just fascinating, fascinating. Okay, so 
there's an inscription in Prien. Uh, it's from the year 9 BC. So, you know, around the time Jesus was born. And so, uh, sorry, Joseph Ratzinger quotes him. So it's about the emperor's birth, Emperor Augustus. So this is what the quote says. There it is said that the day of the emperor's birth, quote, gave the whole world a new aspect. It would have fallen into ruin had not a widespread well-being shone forth from through him, the one now born. Providence, which has ordered all things, filled this man, Caesar Augustus, with virtue that he might benefit mankind, sending him as a savior, both for us and our descendants. The birthday of the God was the beginning of the good tidings, Evangelion, good news, that he brought for the world. From his birth, a new reckoning of time must begin. So this is a quote from an inscription in Prien about Caesar Augustus. And, and you read that and you're just like, whoa, like that sounds an awful lot like the way we talk about Jesus, that his birth brought in a new age, that he changed the world, that he was born as our savior, both for us and our, and our children's children, right? our, our descendants. And so immediately for the, for the gospel writer of Luke, who was writing to a Greek Theophilus, right? He was writing to a Greek who would have known Greek culture and Roman culture. So instantly Luke is saying that this so-called self-proclaimed savior who ordered a, a decree, this is the time that Jesus, the true savior is going to be born. And, and just one more thing that, that Ratzinger points out that before we move on is, the word Augustus itself, the word in Latin, right? In Greek, it's the word uh, Sebastos. So Sebastian, Sebastos. It, it's literally means one worthy of adoration. One worthy of adoration. So Caesar Augustus, the king who is worthy of adoration. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus is the one truly worthy of adoration. He is born at a time that a man claims these titles for himself. Yet, like we hear, you know, Jesus did not count equality with God, something to be grasped. And also going back to that inscription, it, has, it says that God was born. Caesar Augustus claimed divinity for himself. He grasped it for himself. Yet for Caesar Augustus, he wasn't divine until after he died, after he died, he became this divine, you know, demigod. And that's why his son could call himself the son of God because his father had died. And namely he became the son of the divine, the son of God. Jesus comes at this time to say, no, I am the son of God because I'm truly the, the word made flesh. And we have this kind of like punch in the face of Caesar uh, in Luke 2 verses uh, 8 and following. This is when the shepherds uh, encountered the angels. Well, what do we read? And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. So this is after, directly after the birth of Jesus in, in Bethlehem. Uh, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news, euangelion, of great joy that will fill, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, soter, it's the same word in Greek, who is Christ, Christos, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothing lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So what's Luke doing? Well, what are, the, what are the angels who, by the way, these aren't like naked babies flying around. Angels are like terrifying ent- entities of like unimaginable power, right? This is a host. So the word host that we read, uh, it's, it's the same word in Greek for army. This isn't like a casual group of angels, like a little cute choir of like five or eight angels kind of gathered around, like, you know, politely playing on harps in like a semi-quiet tone. It's like, no, this is an angelic army of terrifying magnitude. That's why the shepherds were terrified, shouting at the top of the, they're like yell singing, you know, glory to God in the highest. So namely, what's Luke telling us? One, that this king who demands not an army of human beings like Caesar Augustus does, but an angelic host of terrifying power. And what is he called? Unto you this day is born in the city of David a savior, a soter, not, not Caesar Augustus, who? Christ the Lord. Kurios in Greek. That's a word that was also given to Caesar. Christos, the anointed one, the Mashiach in Hebrew. Namely, the descendant of David, the true king who is to come and to unite the people of Israel, the true king of the world. So Luke is telling Theophilus, who is he, he's writing this gospel to, but also his, his Greek listeners, Caesar Augustus, he had to claim divinity after conquering through man. Jesus Christ, he didn't have to claim divinity. The day he was born, the angelic host recognized him for who he was, namely the son of God the true Kyrios Lord, the true Augustus, the, tr- the one who is truly worthy of adoration. That's why the shepherds go to adore him. He didn't conquer anybody. He was a baby. His reality, his, his glory was already present in him. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to defeat anybody. He didn't have to say, hey, I'm God, come worship me or I'm gonna kill you. He, was, he just was, he just is. And in his very nature and who he is, he is divine and he is the son of God and he is worthy of adoration and praise. And this is, <laughs> this is Christmas. This is our God who we worship and adore and who came to save us, not that we deserve it or earned it, or, you know, not that, you know, we could do anything to repay him, but rather he comes into our lives because we need him. 
we need him more than anything. So this Christmas season, I don't know what your plan is. I don't know what you have in mind to do. Maybe you're gathering around with some family, small party, or maybe, you, you know, you're not seeing anybody because you're worried about COVID or whatever it is. But this Christmas, don't treat it as in it's some kind of like, oh, this is a nice day where we can like wake up and drink some coffee and open some presents. No, this is a day to worship the God who became man so that through grace, we might become what he is by nature, namely children of God. Please go to mass. Christmas Eve, midnight mass, Christmas morning, whatever you got to do. If you've been using COVID as an excuse, as a justification of why you can't go to mass, and it, don't get me wrong, if you are seriously high risk and if you are terrified, like that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the people who, like, you know, you probably could go to mass and be totally fine. You just, it's kind of a nice excuse. COVID's not a nice excuse not to go. Listen, y'all, live streaming mass, while good, is not better than receiving Jesus in the Eucharist. There is no greater gift that God could have given us than himself. So this Christmas, go to mass. Hopefully it's open for you. And say thanks, Eucharist Stasis, Thanksgiving, in the best way that God has given us, namely to receive his son, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and allow our union with him and let, let Jesus pray inside of you. Let the Holy Spirit burst forth from you because you can't contain it, giving thanks and praise to the heavenly father who willed for us to receive his son as a babe in the manger in order to bring about our redemption. Christmas isn't about naked flying angel babies. It's not about presents and not about, gosh, please, it's not about Santa Claus. No, it's, it's about giving thanks and praise to a God who loves us. The reason we give gifts is not because we earned them or we were really special and good this year. It's to remind ourselves of the gift we've been given that we can never repay. This is my encouragement to any parents listening. Stop bribing your kid with presents and stop threatening Santa Claus watching. That's not what Christmas is about. Your kids should know that there is nothing they could ever do or say that could separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that the presents they receive are reminders of that. That nothing they could ever do or say could separate them from your love so that way they can see your love and be reminded of the heavenly father. So this Christmas season, I hope it's different for you this year. I hope it's, I hope it's special. And no, you'll be my thoughts and my prayers. We've taken a few weeks off. My uh, wife is due January 3rd. So we'll be uh, hitting pause on uh, this podcast here and probably till the mid or late January. And we are going to finish the Galatians Bible study. That'll be the first one we do back. Uh, but please uh, keep us in your prayers. Um, everything's looking great with the baby, but you know, any birth is comes with its own stresses and you know worries and all these things and exhaustion. So keep uh, my wife and myself and our family in your prayers. Second baby's due any day now. I uh, hope you and yours have a very blessed and merry Christmas. 
I hope that the Holy Spirit fills your hearts and your minds. I hope that we can live this Christmas season well with joy of of an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ. So with that, y'all have a very blessed and Merry Christmas and we'll see you in the new year. God bless. All right, y'all. Thank you again so much for joining us on Catholics with Bibles. Once again, Joseph, Joseph, uh, Jesus of Nazareth series by Joseph Ratzinger is the book I use today. His series is thebomb.com. Get all three books, read them, enjoy them. And I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. I hope you have a great new year and I hope 2021 is a lot less crazy than 2020 for you. With that, y'all, we'll see you next time. God bless.